0: Good morning, friends. Uh, Today I'm uh, still on the road, actually of all places. I'm in Texarkana, Texas, where uh, I came to do a wedding over the weekend. Uh, I'll be attending church back at uh, First Lutheran Church, where I served for five and a half years. Uh, And yet, uh, I wanted to share this message with you today that I'm going to call Powerful Perks. And uh, our text is Colossians chapter 1, the first eight verses. For some of you that are as old as I am or a little bit younger may remember that first Woodstock that was held back in the summer of 1969. It was billed as three days of peace and love and music, and to a great extent it lived up to the billing. There were no eruptions of violence, no demonstrations, no riots. There were just half a million flower children packed like sardines on Max farm in upstate New York, listening to the music that defined their generation. Well, 30 years later, in 1999, a group of promoters attempted to recapture the magic of the original by staging Woodstock 99, a 30-year reunion. It turned out to be nothing like the first. I mean, first, the crowd was significantly smaller than the half million who attended in 1969. Second, unlike the first event, admission wasn't free. And third, Woodstock 99 wasn't three days of peace, love, and music. Instead, it ended with hours of rioting, burning, and looting. In a way, this event is symbolic of the differences between the two generations, the boomers and Gen X. Though the 60s were certainly troubled times, there was an atmosphere of optimism among the younger generation, even despite the Vietnam War. Things are very much different today. Most people, if you ask to pick a word to describe Gen X or the millennials, would not immediately think of the word optimism. In fact, the word often used is despair. This is, of course, a broad generalization, but there's some truth to it. In many ways, members of our current generations have given in to despair. For example, surveys reveal that this generation is the first in the history of the country who did not expect to achieve the same standard of living their parents achieved. Some economists say their pessimism is valid. You can see the difference in the music of both generations. In the 60s, we sang songs like We Can Change the World or Give Peace a Chance and Come on, People Now, Smile on Your Brother, Everybody Get Together, Try to Love One Another right now. Today's music isn't quite so naive. And, in fact, uh, there's a song called Americana uh, the offspring sings. It, it, there's a line in it says, I want it right now because my generation don't like to wait. My future is determined by thugs thieves, and vermin is quite an excursion. In another song, it's called Have You Ever, they say, have you ever buried your face in your hands because no one's around you understands or has the slightest idea of what it takes to make you be or what could make you whole is simply out of reach. Now, I'm not saying that every popular musician today sings nothing but gloom and doom, but I'm saying that everyone probably under the age of 30 really is kind of wandering around, kind of lost. I'm saying this, today people tend to be less optimistic about life than they were in the past, and this lack of optimism has affected everyone, especially our current generations. I also want to say that no matter what age you are, no matter which generation you belong to, you do not have to be pessimistic about life. I mean, true, there's much in this world that seems to indicate life is kind of meaningless or hopeless or we're kind of fighting a losing battle or we're just not sure. And I hear this view from people of all ages. But I want to say, don't believe it. The message of the Bible is that no matter how bad things appear to be with God in your life, you don't have to give in. I mean, relationships may fall apart. Your career may be stalled before it gets started. Your job may be a dead-end road. School may seem like one unending nightmare, but with God, there's always reason to hope. Way back in 60 AD, Paul wrote a letter to the Christians living in Colossae. He was speaking... <clears throat> to people who lived in a predominantly non-Christian society, and he showed them how to stand against the tide of society's prevailing attitudes and capture a life that's pleasing to God. And he talked a lot about what it means to love God, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian in a non-Christian environment. And the answers he offered that community of believers, you know, 2,000 years ago, is still relevant today. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of take a look at Paul's letter to Colossians, and I'll be honest, I just kind of spurred on to do this because I'm attending a a weekly Bible study, studying the book of Colossians. But today in the first chapter, uh, Paul talks about three things you can expect to happen when you decide to follow Jesus. I'm going to call them the the perks. If you choose to exclude Jesus from your life, these things might never happen. But if you include Jesus in your day-to-day life, they are yours for the asking. And first, is a reason to be optimistic? In verses 3 to 5, we always thank God when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Now, that word hope, do you know what that word means? Well, we tend to use it as a synonym for wishful thinking. Paul uses it differently. He uses it as a synonym, synonym for sensible optimism. What do we have to hope for? Well, because of Jesus, our hope gives us the assurance that everything will turn out okay, even if things do not appear to be okay right now. Our hope gives us the assurance that God is going to take care of all the details of our life. As we approach a new job or a new relationship or a new business venture or a new move or any major change in our lives, even though we don't know exactly what's going to happen next, we know that God is going to see us through. Even if we face hard times, we know that God has taken care of us, and he will see us through. Now, this is not wishful thinking. It's sensible optimism. It doesn't work for just anyone, but it works for those who are committed to following Jesus the Christ, because God makes it work. Paul said in Romans 8.28, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, God doesn't always give us a blueprint of what he plans to do next. Most of the time, we go through life not really knowing specifically how things will turn out. But we can know generally how things will turn out. They're going to turn out okay. Why? Because God has promised they would. This gives us a reason to be optimistic. And this optimism that we have, this hope that is ours, gives us the ability to live a life of faith and trust him with the details of our lives. In verse 5, Paul says that our faith springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. He's saying that when we build our lives upon hope in the goodness of Jesus, that sense of optimism generates faith. Now think about it for a moment. What is your greatest obstacle to stepping out in faith? Isn't it the fear of the unknown that you're not sure how things are going to turn out? But if you have a hope that is based upon Jesus a sense of optimism that God is going to make everything work out okay, then suddenly it becomes much easier to trust God with the details of a specific situation. We don't have to give in to despair. God gives us a reason to be optimistic. He gives us hope that ultimately everything will work out for our good and for his glory. Secondly, he also gives us a handle on the truth. In verse 6, Paul refers to the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It has been said by many people that we live in a post-Christian society. Many people today have abandoned the idea of absolute truth, believing instead in what we call relative truth. These folks are pretty easy to spot. They tend to say things, well, if it's true for you, it might not be true for me. Chuck Colson from uh, Prison Ministries tells the story of speaking at a forum at Yale Law School. In his speech, he planned to attack some of the most basic ideas taught at that institution and how they contributed to undermining the rule of law in America. He was prepared to give a convincing argument that there can be no law without a Christian consensus. Colson was concerned that his comments might lead to a riot or at least an unpleasant confrontation. After all, he was challenging the foundation of what many of these students had been taught to believe. He voiced his concerns to a friend of his, one of the professors at Yale, and his friend said, don't worry about it. They'll listen and leave without saying a word. His friend went on to say when these kids come to Yale, they're taught that the law has nothing to do with morality. They accept that. You can have your opinions. They'll find those interesting, but they won't bother to argue. Now, I've got to grant that things have shifted a little bit when we have people going in to talk about the same things, and they're shouted down and And riots or even protests are held outside. But Colson's friend was right. No one challenged a single premise he made. Why should they? In their eyes, truth doesn't exist, only opinions. The difference Christianity offers the world is, we believe, even in this day and age, that truth does exist. Some things are always right. Some things are always wrong. And these things aren't determined by cultural climate or personal whim. They're determined by the word of God. You know, life is filled with shades of gray, and choosing right from wrong isn't always easy. However, when you make a choice to follow Jesus, he lays a foundation in your life of absolute truth that will guide you through the rough spots. When someone tries to persuade you to defend the rules, God's word gives you clear direction. When your employer wants you to take advantage of a client, God's word gives you clear direction. When the person you're dating wants you to compromise yourself sexually, God gives you clear direction. When you're faced with the opportunity to do something a little shady that no one will ever know about, God's word gives you clear direction. It helps you recognize the difference between right and wrong. And third, uh, a perk is the ability to get results. Now, what do I mean? I mean that when you choose to follow Jesus, you don't waste your life in futility. You, you won't find yourself sitting around a rocking chair when you're 80, 90, wondering, What was the reason for my existence? What did I accomplish with my life? Friends, when you make a choice to follow Jesus, you can live every day of your life with the assurance that your efforts will serve him and they'll produce results. That's something even the wealthiest people in the world can't always call on, count on. A few years ago, I read that the most philanthropic foundations are, quote, failing to seriously affect most of the problems they confront, end of quote. They've attempted to confront the problem of poverty, yet the gap between the haves and the have-nots continues to expand. They want to confront the problem of crime, yet most cities are more dangerous than they were 50 years ago. They want to confront the problem of illiteracy, yet the high school dropout rate in many rural areas exceeds 25%, and in many inner cities exceeds 50%. Despite the billions of dollars that are being spent by a number of wealthy individuals, they're still not getting the job done. Paul says that when you commit to following Jesus and dedicate yourself to doing the work of the gospel, your efforts will bear fruit. See, all over the world, verse 6 says, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understand understood God's grace in all its truth. See, God's promises that his word will not return void and your efforts to serve him will not be in vain. The gospel is not merely a social program It is the power of God to change people's lives forever. It can change yours, and when you share God's love with others, you can be a part of changing the world in which you live. When you serve Jesus, you are never at risk of wasting your life. Your efforts will produce results, reduce and last for eternity. If you want to spend your life doing something that will change history, serve Jesus. Be a part of the kingdom. When you reach out to others in his name, whether it's serving in a soup kitchen or discipling a new believer or even sponsoring a child overseas, when you reach out to others in his name, you are doing the work of the gospel. And guess what, friends? The gospel always bears fruit. It gets result. Your efforts will not be wasted. So what's so great about being a Christian? Well, being a Christ follower makes despair obsolete. When you follow him, you have a reason to be optimistic. You have a handle on the truth. You have the ability to produce results. More than anything in this world, more than anything this world has to offer, following Jesus eliminates despair and fills your life with meaning. And those three things, my friends, are powerful perks. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.